I just think it was too easy for Ridley Scott and I would have much preferred to have seen this film made by uh, somebody like Danny Boyle who did Sunshine. This looks great and it's visual. It's good. It's just not as good as the book just to throw the cat amongst the pigeons. But you couldn't really fail with the source material. The source material was so strong. The book is probably is up there in one of my favourite books of all time. It's one of the funniest books I've read. As I said to George when lockdown began, I was like, I've got potatoes, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to do a Mark Watney. <laughs> Hello, joining us today, we have George. Hello. Charlie. Hello there. And as always, Kobe. Hello. And we're reviewing The Martian. Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello film fans, welcome to Flix Watcher. Joining us remotely, we have George and Charlie. If you would like to say hello to our listeners and tell them a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. Hi, uh, I'm George McGee. I am one half of Retro Ramble uh, podcast. And who's who's a fellow co-guest? That, that would be <laughs> me. I am the younger, wiser, um, greyer brother uh charlie mcgee uh so yeah george and i have been doing this podcast for a few years now um we enjoy getting to spend the time together uh to go back and reminisce about what it was like uh watching these films when we were younger and yeah the still the same immature childish uh comments about these blockbusters rings true today so yeah if you're into that sort of thing please uh check us out when when you guys were growing up uh this is probably main, mainly aimed at charlie in this case did you feel the burden of uh, like educating George as to what is a good film? Did you, did you feel that you had to, you know, slap the bad films out of his hand and gave him the, give him the good ones? Or were you just like, nah, no, no, it, really it's still very much like it is today. Uh, from the very beginning, we would watch a film and I'd be like, oh, there's a car crash, there's explosions, that's amazing. And George would be like, no, nah, I'm not sure it really appealed to me on certain levels. So George has always been the, uh, the more, taking a more, academic look at the film I, I was always sucked in by the ride of watching the film itself so yeah I, I was a very bad example to George in, in many areas not not just film <laughs> but then you can have that and you can have that like you, you, t- you said true romance which is probably a film where you got the you got the action but also you got a you know a yeah. good interesting compelling story so when it does match then there is there are films that everyone can enjoy well, it also depends on whereabouts you are in, in Charlie and I's timeline as well, because there's all the sort of, if you think about in the sort of 80s and early 90s, we were just kids and it was the age of video. So, you know, it'd be all round to like who got, you know, whose birthday got out there, you know, whether it was like Robocop or License to Kill or whatever. And everyone would go around, to, you know, you'll go around to your mate's house and watch it all together. So it'd be that sort of watching it as a group. But then obviously as Charlie and I grew up, grew up and would go and see stuff separately and sort of compare notes and you know we've we've lived together we've we've lived in different countries and different cities so it's it's uh, it's interesting in terms of I say comparing notes but then obviously it's nothing better than we still 
try and get to the cinema as much as we can together, despite living in different countries. And despite lockdown. And despite um, lockdown. We have done a watch along. We did. Uh, I can't, was, I can't uh, get behind these watch alongs. Um, it, it just seems, I don't know. If you, yeah, we had a few syncing issues, but as long as, I think it's fine if you've seen the film before, you know, but sure. I wouldn't recommend if it's a film you've never seen before. That I think no, tricky. no. I think, and also what we learned is that you need to be on the same sort of setup. So you're either both streaming it on Netflix or you're both watching a physical copy because otherwise you need, one of you needs to be very patient because it, it, it's only milliseconds, but yeah. by after half an hour, it's, you know, it's creating a problem. Um, yeah, Secret Cinema, which Helen used to work for, they're, they're doing quite a few. I think there's a there's a Ghostbusters one around the time we're recording. And as much as I love Ghostbusters, I just think oh, it just seems like a pain to log into this thing at the same time as other people. And I don't know, it's maybe that's just me sure being, being grouchy. You get out of it. Yeah. To be honest, um, I guess if you've if you are actually on your own and you're not living with anyone, then you've been watching films with literally no one sat next to you to go, oh, did you see that? Oh, that's so cool. Whereas, you know, if there's someone in the house, you can still do that. But mm. I don't know. I just I just find it a bit of a betrayal to the film to be sat there constantly tweeting or texting something, maybe. I don't know. Or I just don't like people, maybe. I'm not sure. Well, for us, I, th- I think that that was the benefit because normally George and I have to work, we have to, we, we're professionals. We watch these films and make notes on them separately. And so what this uh, removed was the need, I didn't make any notes. Uh, I don't, uh, I think I made them afterwards, but I watched it with George. We joked and we, we made stuff about it. So um, we're making a podcast from it. So I think for that sort of thing, the fact that we were going to go on and record an episode, it was brilliant having the watch along because we we experienced the film together. We reacted at the same time as we saw each other reacting. And we I think we found it easier uh, to recall that when we were doing the show rather than I've, I've made notes, you've made notes, let's have a chat and refer to our notes. I, I think from that, I think we'll probably do it again for that reason. But yeah, I think just to do it with a friend, I think like the rest of it, it does seem I'd rather just watch a film either by myself or, or with some poor unsuspecting person next to me. Uh, well, we're digressing slightly, guys. Uh, we're here talking about The Martian, uh, which is your choice, George. Can you tell us why you chose it and give us a synopsis in a minute or less? Uh, I'm a big science fiction fan. Um, I binged The Martian when I read it. I think it's by Andy Weir, I think it is. And I think it starts off as a blog, randomly. He wrote it in installments uh, before it was actually published as a book. Yeah. Um, but then when I heard it was getting adap- adapted into a film uh, by none other than Rid- Sir Ridley Scott, uh, I got really excited because obviously Ridley Scott is responsible for some of the finest science fiction, you know, Alien uh, and Blade Runner, you know, two of um, you know, um, uh, my favorite science fiction films. So, yeah, uh, the reason I picked this is because it's a great science fiction film. But if anything, it probably leans more into science fact. It's very sort of, you know, it is all based on it had you know, NASA's cooperation. It's got an amazing cast, uh, as I'm sure we're going to talk about. Great central performance by Matt Damon. And it's probably the best film Ridley Scott's done in probably 15, 20 years. Um, he, he's a Ridley Scott, he's, you know, he's a brilliant visualist. He's, he's always got amazing visuals, but some of the so- stories and scripts of the past 15 years, they've been messed with. I mean, <laughs> uh, that's my opinion, but um, I think it's kind of widely accepted. I mean, I, I haven't got any time for the, the Alien prequels. I think Prometheus looks fantastic and, and Alien Covenant does, but they are messy films. I just don't have time for. So Helen um, nodding ahead in agreement with you, uh, with Ridley Scott not producing anything for 15 years. What 
where where do you sit with Ridley Scott H so I always thought that I was a Ridley Scott fan but it turns out I just liked Alien Thelma and Louise Blade Runner and, and this um he's I think it just depends on kind of where maybe this source material comes from because obviously with this um you know it's based on you know a pretty detailed book um so yeah I mean I don't have any time for Prometheus I think when I saw it at the cinema I was bitterly disappointed and kind of gave up and talk of like more alien films it's just like just leave it alone (laughs) so so it's like just leave it it's like dying on the floor just leave it um and yes sort of when Ridley Scott became a bit obsessed with Russell Crowe that's kind of when I zoomed out and he just can't make a short film either they just have to be like minimum two hours and it's just yeah but this I love the Martian there's no Martians in it Um, well he is the Martian yeah but like no no, little alien things there's no aliens in this one which I think some people were quite upset about when they went to see it. Um, but yeah, no, I saw this at the cinema when it came out, um, really enjoyed it. And it's one of those ones that I noticed had popped into Netflix and was like, oh, I should watch it again, should watch it again. But um, so thanks for picking it because it was on, on my list. It should be noted that he didn't, Ridley didn't write this. It was uh, Drew Goddard who, you know, we've talked about Ridley before with, with Thelma and Louise and we've also talked about Drew Goddard with um, The Cabin in the Woods where he directed and... Uh, so I was actually quite surprised that Drew wrote the script for this because it's, it's a very nuanced script. And I think some of the points I really like were the, the incidental bits where he's talking to the camera and saying, yeah, I read in a blog, I read somewhere that if you, if you uh, cultivate land on a, on a, on a place, then you, then you, um, then you, then you've colonized it. And then he says like, I've colonized Mars. And it's, it's little things like that, those incidental bits, which I think are really nice touches that add to the, to the film and to how the kind of the fabric of everything works, which I think um, really sets this apart as well as the, the science, which seems a lot more plausible than in other space movies. Uh, Charlie, what are your thoughts on, on the Martian? I, I have quite, um, quite passionate uh, thoughts about this film, which <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed the film very much at the cinema. I think it's a cinematic um, masterpiece in many ways. Um, but I, I can't see how any movie director, especially somebody with the contacts of Ridley Scott, um, could have failed. I, I think I can't say how the book is probably is up there in one of my favorite books of all time. It's one of the funniest books I've read. The examples that you just gave about colonization, about pirates are all lifted mm. from the book. Um, and I just I, I just think it was too easy for Ridley Scott. And I would have much preferred to have seen this film made by uh, somebody like Danny Boyle, who did Sunshine. I would have, I think this looks great and it's visual, but I just, it's good, but it's not as good as the, it's just not as good as the book. There's not, so that's where I am at with this, with this film, just to throw it in there, uh, the cat amongst the pigeons. But I mean, I watch it, I enjoy it. It's funny. It's a good space film. It's got the alien sort of noises of it's a Ridley film, some guy blowing through a comb. Um, But yeah, I just think you couldn't really fail with the source. We talked, I think Ellen mentioned the source material. The source material was so strong. It's, have you, has anybody, have we all read the book? I've not read it. 
just just you'll you'll demolish it in in weeks honestly it's um it's it's moving it's hilarious it's brilliantly paced science you know it, it, it is quite dense at parts you know there's a lot of scientific science stuff um but interestingly um Ridley Scott was second choice. Right. Drew Goddard um, wrote the script. He was originally intending to direct it as well. And then he was lured away um, to Sony at the time offered him the Spider-Man spin-off, The Sinister Six. So this is when Andrew Garfield was Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 2 was happening, and they were all teasing all their, their own universe. They didn't need Marvel. And then Spider-Man 2 happened, um, and Sinister Six got shelved. But by that point... Because um, Drew Goddard, it was a passion project for him. He's like, oh, I definitely want to do, I love The Martian, but I really want to do Sinister Six. Um, and he had left. And so they had quickly had to find another director. And <laughs> yeah, Ridley, Sir Ridley Scott was second choice, basically. But yeah, I think, as, as you said, it's the fact that it's such a solid script, it's such solid, you know, they've sticks so closely to the source material. There's very little that's left uh, out of the film um, that is that keeps yeah a great amazing cast great actors. And well let's talk about the cast because you know, obviously that's bolstered, on, on track. that bolsters a lot when the cast kind of just rings and chimes together but um so when, when did this come out was it 2014 15 2015 and i'm not sure how many of these people i didn't you know i knew on knew of uh but you know five years down the line a lot of these guys are de facto well some of them were like a-listers anyway but some of them you know, five years down the line, are now in the oppressions of uh, you know the acting world. So let's talk through the cast. Who, who kind of surprised you on this rewatch, guys? Um, Helen. Uh, well, no one surprised me because I kind of knew them anyway, and then knew them the first time around. So that you've got obviously uh, Sean Bean. He doesn't mm-hmm. die. Spoiler. Uh, Benedict Wong, who is your go-to for any science fiction film, Moon, Sunshine, Annihilation, Avengers, Doctor Strange, Prometheus. Um, Michael Pena, um, what's her name? Kirsten, Kirsten Wig. Um, Kirsten Wig. Yep. Uh, what's his name? Jeff Daniels, um, Donald Glover, um, Rooney Mara's sister. Kate Mara. (laughs) (laughs) That's how she's known and how she was always known since a teenager. Poor girl. Um, yeah, huge cast. Um, and what's her name? The main one. Jessica Chastain. <laughs> so this would be after Interstellar, wouldn't it? I think. So it's 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 like a really really friendly cast that you. She would tell you for you're missing out there. Oh yeah. Chewy. Who? Um, yeah, he's in it. So <laughs> like a balanced. It's, it's like a really balanced cast. It's like a group of people who you've kind of seen from other films and bits before, and they've all come together. Uh, and Matt Damon's in it as well. And, uh, yeah, it's great. Tell you who surprised me. So I have to ask George because he's the geek who knows the sort of stuff. But, George, uh, have I got this completely wrong? But is Bucky from... Sebastian Stan is in there. Yeah. Because I only spotted that this time. That was my, oh, wow, surprise yeah. moment. But yeah, the other person that surprised me this time around, that I probably didn't notice, is um, Mackenzie Crook. She, she's yeah. been in... No, McKen- Mackenzie Davis. Sorry, not Mackenzie Crook. That's... McKenzie Davis, the guy off the detectorist, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, and the office. Um, So yes, Mackenzie Davis, who was uh, she's been in Black Mirror, she's been in the last Terminator film and Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah, I thought there was some sort of Ridley Scott connection afterwards. 
Um, but yeah, she's in a small role. Um, there's a lot of really good actors in tiny roles. Sean Bean is the one that, even though he's called Mitch Henderson, oh, my name's Mitch. He's no, kept his Mitch, accents. Mitch. What a love. Yeah, no one from Sheffield's called no one from Sheffield's called Mitch. That's not allowed. <laughs> they are now, but they weren't when he was that age. <laughs> I mean, it, it is probably a blessing because I think when Sean Bean does do an American accent, it's not very convincing. So, um, but yeah, I say it, you know it is, uh, and it helps. I think you've got so many good actors in tiny roles. It helps. I know ground it, it helps sell that believability. I think. I'm sure I knew of people um, like Donald Glover wasn't. It wouldn't. It would have been still in community of you know the tail in the community at this He'd point. Been in Girls, I think by then. That's where I've known him from. You know from Girls. He was in, yeah, like season three or four Girls, wasn't he? Um, He's fantastic. But yeah, coming out of community, uh, Childish Gambino, and he's this guy kind of brimming with talent. Um, Was Benedict Wong that bigger character at that point? I I I remember mainly from... um, Just say Prime. Prime. The IT crowd. (laughs) Yeah, the IT crowd. Where's in the underground, when it's in the Fight Club uh, stroke countdown episode. Um, which is pure genius. I love it when you get you get a guy from Manchester representing <laughs> in a big Hollywood film. Yeah, but I think he's great. I just uh, like Ellen, you know, mentioned he's in Sunshine, and that is that is like you were the guy who cocked up the calculations in Sunshine, and you're building, and now you've fe- you've you've killed the you've killed the rocket. Somebody get get us somebody else. This guy's just unreliable. <laughs> so how does a book kind of t- lean into the science? Because it's well, it's- he explains everything mm. in that his character is both he is the um head of, he's the engineer lead and the botany lead so he can come at it from both angles he can fix every problem and he he's he's the i think he's the, is he the chief scientist on the mission george is the uh, I, th- I can't remember one thing i was going to ask you i can't remember is it all from is it all first person and it and it's sort of interaction between him and NASA. Yeah, because we were just talking about the cast there. And that's, I guess, got to make a big Hollywood film, got to have lots of actors in it. That's quite mm. a de- detraction from the book in that the book, it's all him and it's all messages from NASA. I think there's, I'd like to think there's one or two or three people that you'll hear, you know, the characters, the guys on the ground at JPL and whatever, but not the sort of different uh, character arcs that you that you see in, in the film. Um, but yeah, he goes, he explains everything about Mars, about the craters, about, and about the process of, uh, as I said to George, when lockdown began, I was like, I've got potatoes. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to do a Mark Watney, <laughs> um, you know, regardless of what happens in the supermarkets. So yeah, he, he kind of, and he does it with panache style and loads of humor. And that's what you remember from, from the book. I will have to carve out some time and, and, uh, and read that. I always think when there's, um, when there's film made of a book, which is, you know, the films could be quite dense and theoretical, you often think, oh, it's just going to be a bit, a bit of a slog. Uh, but often that is, that's not really what attracts filmmakers to scripts, is it? It's kind of fast paced, it's kind of humour, it's kind of intelligence. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thanks for sharing that. We'll head to Amazon and, or get to get downloaded on my Kindle at some or, point. Or Wordery. Or, or Wordery. Alternative to Amazon. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with Amazon. Fine. <laughs> it, just, it makes it easy. It's easy. Um, Don't understand. It's there on your device. And you, you know it can get there. Duct tape, which uh, apparently... Did they talk about duct tape in the book? Is it really as strong as it needs to be? Very important uh, point. Uh, so in the book, it's actually... Um, duct tape is movie magic time. Uh, what's realistic? So NASA actually have a, a chemical composite, um, which is injection-based. So... 
it's all, if you imagine if you know how fiberglass is made mm. it's almost like instant fiberglass Injection molding yeah yes but you can't really do that on duct tape <laughs> it's much easier so they, he goes into detail about when he's when he has that thing when he cracks his suit that he has to do it like that but in and i think he uses it a lot more but for movie magic duct tape and what what about the the bit where it, 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 they bring out the uh, plutonium energy source and he's riding in the buggy with that that surely that's so that's killing him um yeah i I'm, I'm sure there's probably there i think there is some um, scientifically possible but it's just not recommended to spend a lot of time around a a, a sort of a, a radiation a nuclear, a core. nuclear core it will keep you warm though apparently. <laughs> it's why it's why they don't show him actually <laughs> arriving at earth in the film <laughs> doesn't make it well no, we see him at the end he's teaching a lecture isn't oh, he? yes we do he's teaching yeah. sorry he's teaching yeah. um guys is there anything else before we head to the scores I was just going to say it's um, one of the few films set in space where no one dies. True. That's true. Normally, well, like... Well, I was, going to, I was going to mention other films then, but then that obviously massive spoilers there, for films. There'd be a, <laughs> yeah, be a red jacket somewhere. Space is dangerous. I've learned this from watching a lot of films. It was... Um, particularly ones where things go wrong. Did you think it's a bit... I don't know. Because it, it seemed quite grounded. But then did you think at any point it seemed also a bit far-fetched at the same time? Like when they were trying to connect to him and they're traveling 10 meters per second and he's like 200 meters away. And you know, 10 meters per second is fast. Yeah. Um, and he's trying to control himself with the, obviously it's, just, it's telling a story, but then you think oh, it seems, this seemed like there was such a, a good basis of how things are working, how things could work, but then well, also I think, yeah, that's, that's the one thing I've put in my notes that is slightly silly. You know, it's, it's all very, very grounded and gripping until that. And I think, uh, again, I'm sort of uh, deferring to Charlie. I don't think that bit's in the book, the whole Iron Man where he pierces the suit <laughs> to help propel him. I think that is a bit of Hollywood tension, dramatic. No, it's, uh, he, doesn't he have a fire extinguisher? No, that's gravity. So it's, and Wally. Wally. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But uh, yeah, that was the one sort of bit that kind of like mars it slightly. But I think, the only thing I would say that we haven't, we've talked about the amazing cast, but we haven't talked about how good Matt Damon is. I mean, he's, he sells the, yeah. you know, the, the drama, the, he, he's very funny in it. The, you get those moments of loneliness, you know, when he's in the pod, he's the only man on a planet. He's got howling storms going on and he's trying to keep himself sane mm-hmm. at night and stuff like that. It's uh, where he's slowly going mad, listening to disco music. It's um, yeah, he, he, he plays it really well. And well, it's, you know, obviously the marketing was all based on, it was another Matt Damon with titles over his face, um, which has become a cliche as well. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's a, you know, I think he got, I don't know if he got Oscar no- nominated for it, but I know controversially he won a Golden Globe for Best Comedy Actor in it or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. Comedy or yeah. musical. It is a, they changed like, the category after that because they then said that it had to be a comedy, not a drama with comedic moments. Ah, yeah, he's phenomenal. Yeah, he's he's brilliant throughout. All right, let's head to the scores, guys. Hello, I'm Sam Pay, and I'm Martin Zoltzostwick, and we are the two hosts of a podcast called Song, Song by, by Song. Song where we listen every week to a track by the musical artist Tom Waits. Uh, You might know him for his gravelly voice. (coughs) Very nice. His appearance in films, but also his multi-decade spanning career uh, involving blues, jazz, and all sorts of other kinds of experimental music. So we're basically like a book club for Tom Waits. And if that sounds like your cup of tea, you can find us at songbysongpodcast.com or wherever you get podcasts. 
welcome to the Flix Watcher scores. All of the scores are out of five, and you may have decimal places if you wish. And we will start with you, George, with your recommendability, please. Um, I think uh, a lot of people would enjoy this film. Um, yes, it can be quite sciencey at times, but I think it's a, a good story. We've got lots of familiar faces in there. Um, it's really good, really slick, good soundtrack. Um, so I would say 4.5. Charlie? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say, uh, yeah, I, I, I would say 4.5 as well. I think 4 is not enough for this film. I'd say I, what I, the baggage I bring with me to this <laughs> film in terms of my love of the book, um, it's not going to stop me recommending this to anybody. The only, it's like, like we said in the last one, maybe you don't like sci-fi, so I wouldn't recommend it, but everyone else would be like, it's funny, watch it. So yeah, 4.5. I think, um, when you come, when you talked about Danny Boyle there, my my initial thought went straight to, oh yeah, Train Spotting was a fantastic adaptation. There's no way, obviously, the film versus the book is completely is very very different because there's just no way you could make that film uh, based on the book as it's presented. But it still works fantastically as a as a counterpiece. So um, I would have been it would be interesting to see what Danny Boyle would make of the you know the source material um, in this case or Alex Garland do the screenplay <laughs> i just think when i saw this i was just like maybe christopher nolan or danny boyle or somebody else not not ridley scott but anyway I think we're, we're recommending it if christopher <laughs> nolan would have done it it would have been very i think it would have been quite hard going very dry yeah <laughs> yeah there's not enough t- fucking about with time uh helen um i really like this film um i can't think of anyone that i wouldn't recommend it to and i think matt damon does such a great job that it doesn't feel like overloaded with science. Like I can watch this and I'm completely sold on it. And I go, yeah, sure. I get that. You can explain it like that. Totally believe in it. Completely believe in it. And it's just kind of one of those like classic stories of basically just one guy, you know, he keeps coming up against stuff. He keeps coming up against stuff, things going wrong, but you know, he just keeps going and everyone's on his side and you just feel good watching it. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think it's great. Um, another film this slightly reminds me of is that All is Lost, which is the Robert Redford one where he's on a boat. And they're kind of similar in that it's just kind of, well, for that film, it's this one person that you're kind of going along with this journey. In. And um, I just think it's great. So I can give it a five. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, well, 4.5. Um, I think it will be too much of a stretch for other people. Uh, thinking back on it, I don't think, I mean, it does talk about the science and stuff, but it doesn't really go into equations. Um, but typically when when equations are shown in film, it's either explained in a way that makes sense or it's just kind of glossed over, like in Goodwill Hunting, whereby it's just like... Just on a blackboard. Yeah, just stuff there, which is going to be super tedious and, brit- and blow your mind, so we're not even going to bother. Or people will explain something in a way that makes you go, oh, that's good. Uh, but I don't think either of those happen. It just kind of goes, I'm a botanist, therefore I can make potatoes. Um, or oh, by the way, I know how to make water come out. You know, it just kind of goes, this is what I'm going to do now. And, it, and it, then it goes and does it. Um, so the, the science is there, but it doesn't in- go into any kind of minutia of detail to make, it, to make it alienating to people. But still, there will be people who kind of go, Oh man, this is in science. Uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna abstain from it. Uh, so 4.5. It was long-winded way of saying 4.5. Repeat viewing score, George. Um. So uh, yeah, I I've watched it uh, a few times. I think I saw it. I might have seen it twice in the cinema. I don't. Um, oh really? I think, I think so. But uh, yeah, I've I've watched it at least 
uh, I think three times uh, so far. I mean, I, I it was on film four uh, a few months ago when I was like when I was away with work, and it was halfway through, and I got stuck watching it. And then I was like, as you're saying, Helen, it's you know it's it's a long film, and especially with film four with all the breaks, it's even longer. And I was just like, oh, I really want to want to keep watching this, but um, I've, I've got to go to bed. So uh, <laughs> I would yeah, say uh, repeat viewing. Um, I'd say like three point five. Charlie. Yeah, I'm. I'm also going to go with um with a three. I, I I watched this at the cinema. I bought this on Blu-ray as soon as it came out. Um, and then I've obviously watched it in in two sittings uh, in preparation for this. Um, but yeah, I mean, sorry, just to jump back what you were saying about Apollo thirteen. The one thing about in terms of repeat viewing is every time it's like, oh, if only this was real, you know, because mm-hmm. like you really you're rooting for him and it's like amazing what everyone achieves and that they get him home. And it's like, none of it's real. You know, it's just that if you compare it to Apollo 13, it's just because we talked about the fact, the fact-based narrative. Yeah. It's just, that's the one thing every time I see him like, we really need to get somebody marooned on Mars for this to resonate <laughs> with everybody, you know, Helen. Um, so yeah, I saw it at the cinema and then I think I'd definitely seen it before you suggested it um, and enjoyed watching it again. It is two hours, 21 minutes, which you can watch like quite a few films in in that runtime. So although I did enjoy watching it, I'm probably not going to watch it again in a while. Um, I got 3.5 as well. Uh, I'm going to go for two. I, you know, really enjoy it, but I don't think it's going to be a a go-to repeat view film for me. I think there'll just be others. Uh, step up to the plate when um, when I want them to. Small screen score, George. Yeah, I think you know it's um, it does suffer. Um, it is you know as I said, I've talked about um, Ridley Scott's an amazing visualist. Uh, there's some amazing vistas you know of of Mars of all you know the mountains and stuff. I think they filmed that in in Jordan, even though a lot of it was mainly shot on studio. I think it has got some amazing cinematography and it's got obviously all the space stuff. Um, I watched it on my my new sort of HD telly, and I, I think even watched half of it on on uh, projector. So I think it it does suffer a bit on on the small screen. So I'm going to say two. Charlie, sacrilege! I would say like one. Like this is exactly the like. Whereas the um, whereas another film that would be more TV based, you could watch on a small screen. This is all about. Uh, you know, I've, I've I've got a 4K projector, and I'd watch it on that with surround sound. You know, it, it, for me, that's what this sort of film is for. It's for, and so you know, I'd, I'd probably have to be in a sorry state of affairs to whip out my uh, my my smartphone and, and chuck this on. I'd rather watch an episode of something, to be honest, on my smartphone. Well, we're talking TV size here, really, um, but it's yeah. TV versus cinema is the small screen score. Oh, sorry, I didn't. I didn't get that. Yeah, uh, no, I'd still, uh, I'd still give it a very low score, say two. Um, it's not the same as what you get at the cinema. So far away, Helen. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed seeing it at the cinema, um, but then the subsequent watches, um, because I've had that first watch in the cinema, I haven't been too offended. I mean unlikely it's going to get much screening at the cinema so netflix is probably your best bet so definitely watch it on a tv rather than a laptop um to get the best experience so i'm gonna go 3.5 yeah i'm gonna go for two here um three point uh i'm gonna go for two because it's great in the cinema i but i just felt watching it on my decent sized tv screen here um 
I just thought, ah, yeah, it's better in the cinema, isn't it? <laughs> um, but it's good. It's good. A lot of it was um, shot from uh, like a GoPro camera, and you know, the, it didn't rely too heavily on the vistas. But I think it still did work well um, when those those kind of visions were those kind of shots were presented to us on, on the bigger screen versus at home. Um, engagement score, George. Well, yeah, I say uh, like uh, linking back to what I said earlier. You know, I, I caught half of it on on telly a few months ago and and found myself like drawn into watching it um and i'd say yeah it's you know it's got um you know because of that cast because of that script i think it is really engaging so i'm gonna go again go high and say uh four charlie yeah i would go higher i'd say 4.5 i think this this hits all the numbers um it's I, i find it very engaging and and i think a lot of that is down to you've got to give um you know so Ridley, some credit. There's some brilliant, there's some stuff that isn't in the book that you get from his visuals and there's a great cast and you want to watch it till the end. As George said, you know, you start watching this film, it's kind of like you, you want to watch, you want to, you want to see it to the end. Helen. Uh, yeah, I can go quite high on this 4.5. Um, I did think this time watching it for the third time around that the kind of third act is my least favorite act. And by, my favourite bit is where he's kind of figuring things out and, you know, kind of like having his little discoveries and things. And like the last part probably feels like the most stretched and I don't know, my least favourite bit of it. Um, so yeah, 4.5. Um, I'm going to go to 4.65. Um, oh, I think it's, I really, I really did enjoy it. I, both times it was, it was kind of, it was get engaging and hooked you in. Um, I'm taking a few points off for the um, Iron Man prancing around in the space, uh, in, in in space, being caught by Jessica Chastain, but because that, that did take me out of it a bit, uh, because I think any, everything preceding to that seems a bit was more grounded, but still gripping, and I didn't think they needed to do that really to 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 close it out at the end of the day. Um, Yes, a 4.65. That gives us an overall score. Let's just uh, do the maths here. 3.60313. It's the it's a small screen score that took it down a few pegs. And also repeat viewing wasn't too wasn't too uh wasn't too high either. still a decent score though. Yep. Recommendation. But not breaking you're mixing us with another podcaster. But still not breaking the four the four barrier. Um, so we do ask people. We go to Twitter just before recording, and we say, in this case, we are reviewing The Martian with George and Charlie from Retro Rumble Blog. Have you seen it? Tell us your thoughts for an on air shout out on Flixwatcher. So George, do you want to take the first one that's on your screen? Okay, so uh, this is uh, first one from Shitegeist, uh, Shitegeist Pod, saying uh, Robinson Crusoe for people who loved Blow Thirteen. Twice in the IMAX wasn't enough for me, so I had to read the book. And I think he's given it five potatoes, which is very nice. <laughs> Charlie. Yeah. So um, our friends over at Sudden Double Deep, uh, the the coming up with the the potato best best potato film I've ever seen. Four star. And Helen, do you want to say the last one? Yeah. So this is from Liam H Dempsey. Scott's finest since Gladiator, but that's probably more down to Drew Goddard's script, the source material. <laughs> and Damon than him, and he's given that four stars. Same kind of thing that Charlie was saying. Um, is one, well, it's a shame you can't get two people, uh, this, you know, the same film done by two separate directors, and it'd be really interesting to see what the difference is. Uh, I'm sure they've done that kind of idea with um, like short films, haven't they? But so 
Or should we start petitioning for a release of the Goddard cut? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, George, we've got another one. This is Lee TV. Uh, he says, uh, didn't like it the first time, but probably because it wasn't the film I was expecting. Charming, funny, and despite its length, not overbloated like so many of his films from the last 20 years. Uh, not sure if the science adds up, but feels grounded, and that makes it work. And he's given it three potatoes and something else. I think, let's just say, three and a half. Yeah, three and a half. Which is tied in very much with what we were talking about. With potato emojis. Yeah, fantastic. Guys, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell uh, whoever's listening where we can find you online and say goodbye to those same people? Yes, so uh, our our podcast Retro Ramble is uh, available on all your uh, podcast-serving apps and devices, and you can listen to it on our uh, our blog, so uh, retroramble.blog. And we are on Facebook, we are on Twitter, uh, and we're also on Instagram as well. Uh, I myself am also on Letterboxd, uh, so at George McGee. So I occasionally put the odd mini review on there, but there's also loads of reviews on our website if you want to have a look at that as well. And Charlie? Yeah, well, uh, thanks again for letting us come on. As we've said before, we are, um, we've got some great episodes lined up. It's always 80s or 90s action. Uh, George and I are not as organized as the guys here on Flix Watcher. Um, we're a bit more fast and loose and uh, underprepared, uh, but it's been great to be on here. It's great to come on and to speak with like-minded people. But as George says, there's our there's our blog. We're on Facebook uh, quite a lot, Instagram, if you want to get in touch and see what we're doing next. Um, but yeah, thanks for, for having us. You're welcome. Thanks for coming on and uh, picking The Martian. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at Flix Watcher Pod on Twitter and we're at Flix Watcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood R O K K Wood audio tell them flix watcher sent you you just heard a stripped media production 